My name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, part of the teaching team. I get to open up the text this morning. It's good to see you all, those of you online, uh, especially those of you here for the first time, first couple of times. Uh, thanks for coming. We're in the series called Joy to the World, question mark. And I got to tell you, one of the things that's just kind of running out of steam with me is like this. I'm moaning about 2020 stuff, you know, like, well, you know, 2020. And it just feels like, where have you been the other years? I don't know. Maybe that's just I'm just a little bit grumpily dispossessed more than usual. But I just feel like, man, there's nothing new in the sun. Like, people suffer and die, and there's division and angst and hostility. And, like, just none of that's new. And if anything, 2020 has, like, revealed that to a greater degree. But it's just we can't, like, hide behind that our problems are because of our circumstances. That's just not how it works. We, we're smarter than that. We know that circumstances reveal our hearts. They don't create our hearts. And one of the hardest parts about 2020 has been, like, I keep getting my heart revealed to myself, and I like what I see. You know, suffering holds up a mirror, and you're like, oh, that's what's in there. Ugh, oof. And then you kind of have to decide, do I just complain about my circumstances, or do I, like, try to change my heart? And it's so much easier to complain about circumstances, so that's what we do. We just moan about, well, 2020, and that's how it goes. But in all reality, it, especially in the last, like, couple of weeks, a uh, couple of days in life of this church, um, it's just been brutal. I don't know if any, like, uh, somebody has been here for a long time, and Kelly James passed away just on Thursday this week, just unexpected, just brutal. Uh, people I'm close to have dealt with varying degrees of suicidality, and uh, kids, grown-ups, like, it's not cancer diagnoses, cancer, like, uh, marriage, tension, hostility, and 2020 didn't, didn't create this stuff. Like, my heart's broken, and I just, like, you know, there's every bit of me that wants to come up here and kind of do, like, an uppity joy to the world, exclamation point message, but I just don't really, I don't really have that. Like, I just feel like it's joy to the world question mark. It's just been a bummer. Not a bummer. It's been devastating the last um, 72 hours in particular, but this whole year, if you can probably see that, that, a lot of the hardest stuff has not been COVID stuff. Maybe that's the, COVID's, like, icing on the cake, but it's just, there's nothing new under the sun. Joy of the world, question mark. And then here's what's been really, was confusing me last week is Luke got up here and kind of had everyone do like, hey everyone, you know, scale of one to 10, just go with your gut, was your number on 2020? And the number that popped in my head was eight. And then immediately felt guilty, like, <laughs> don't tell anyone I was an eight. Well, I was thinking, why is it, why is it an eight? And so I'm trying to think through, and so this is what happens, at least to me a ton, is that like when I go to describe how I'm doing, I tend to just kind of do that based on my most recent experience or based on what happened most recently. And Saturday before last week, um, I took my son to a lake and fed the ducks. You know, there's a little sign that said, please don't feed the ducks. And I... They asked nicely, and I said no, and that's, <laughs> and anyway, so we fed the ducks, and he, he'll like take a piece of bread, throw it, and go, touchdown, you know, <laughs> the bare midriff baby there, um, but I was honestly just like thinking through like, in your presence is fullness of joy, I'm like, where's the, where have I seen fullness of joy, and it's like, he's kind of like that most of the time, you know, there's always that 5% of the time where he's kind of not getting what he wants, so he's throwing a tantrum, kind of like us, you know, but he's 
fullness of joy, right? And then I'm going, the cynical part of me, it's like, well, that's just because his soul hasn't been crushed by life yet. <laughs> That'll run out, you know? That'll... Uh, but there's this, like, this beauty that Jesus calls us to like, be like children, childlike faith. Is that, and I think that's an aspect of it that's got to be part of it. Uh, what does that mean? And so this, this idea of like, the presence that brings joy with it. Uh, and, you know, so I would go through 2020 all over again if I got to redo his first life again, his first year of life. Uh, you know, but that's gone. His first year of life is gone. Now it's moving over. And so I would totally do it again. I mean, it's been... Non-pleasant, generally speaking, but I do it again. But this, this text looking at, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Uh, I really want to look at this text and think about the presence of God, um, what it does to us, how we walk in it, how we experience it, what it is and what it isn't. And the nice thing, the, you know, the preacher in me sees these three Ps in the, in, the, in the text, the path, the presence, the pleasures. And so the sermon basically wrote itself. So we're going to do three points um, path, presence, and pleasures. And I just want to kind of unpack each of those uh, phrases one at a time and try to help us um, do joy of the world, question, like question mark, and really kind of um, engage with what God's doing to us um, through this text. So let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, thank you for your word, um, for it is a light on our path, and I pray that you would Help us see what you're doing in our hearts and our minds and what you're doing here at Redemption Gateway, that we would be um, people who really walk in your presence and therefore bring with us a fullness of joy. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you went and asked my wife what the worst date she's ever been on is, it would be a date that I took her on. And that's uh, something that I'm kind of bummed about. But this was like when I was a senior in high school, you know, back in the good old days before smartphones when you could still get lost. Uh, uh, so I had this idea. There's this place in Scottsdale I've been to called Deluxe Burger. If you've ever been there, it's not just like a burger shop, but it's pretty great. They like we're doing sweet potato fries before like everyone has sweet potato fries. And so I was going to take her to Deluxe Burger and it was this fun date. And then not only that, but I had planned a surprise that like her best friend and current boyfriend was going to meet us at the movie theater like at eight and so it was going to be like a take her a nice dinner surprise your friends here pretty exciting date thing and then me being the neanderthal that i am didn't know where i was and i got the 51 and the 139 mixed up and got lost somewhere in south phoenix and i didn't know if i was going south it was dark there was fireworks i don't really know what was going on but we were all of a sudden i was you know, driving past these junkyards and i'm going i don't know where i am like we should pull for directions i'm like yeah right this place like We'll pull over to get murdered is what'll happen here. So we're like looking all over the place. Um, we get lost. We drive in circles for like 70 minutes. And at some point, um, I'm refusing to ask for directions. And she's going, I have to pee. So we need to find something like now. And I'm hangry. She's getting hangry. So finally, we find a Taco Bell. And we ate a Taco Bell, right? And so I just know that some of you are concerned about like the vaccine and what's in it, but if you eat at Taco Bell, you don't get to be concerned about what's in it. That's how, that's how it works, right? That's, they're both lab created. They both might keep you going for a little while, but probably some side effects. That's the Taco Bell, um, the Taco Bell vaccine theory. You gotta just kind of be honest with that. So we go to Taco Bell on what was supposed to be a nice date night, and then our stomachs hurt and we go to this movie, and it was a huge disaster, and the whole time I was like, I'm not asking for directions. There's a lot of ways to get, and so this is a lot of the way that we live our life in our secular 
um, current reality. It's like, I know where I'm going. I know how to get there. I'll find the way. Um, denial that I'm lost. I'll figure it out. This is this text. You make known to me the path of life. We don't believe this verse in America in 2020. We don't believe that there is a the path of life. It's significant when there's a, a signifier here, the path of life. Not you make known to me a path of life. Not the path of life that works for you. Not the path of life that makes you happy. Not the path of life that resonates most with your psychological condition. You make known to me the singular one path of life. There's one path of life. And this refusal to ask for directions, this refusal to ask for help is, is a, um, a, a symbol um, of our, our heartward, inwardly um, atheistic, I don't need God, I can find my own path. And I just want us to recognize that whether you're a Christian or you're a non-Christian, whether you're here in the room or you are online, there is a path of life, and whether we're following Jesus or not, we very often get led astray by all these false paths that are promising us life. The path of life is living under a government that agrees with me on basic things. The path of life is having X number of margin in my bank account. The path of life is being employed at a place where I believe in the cause and I can use my skills. The path of life is having a spouse that reciprocates my affection for them. The path of life is having children that obey me and want to follow the Lord. The path of life is being at a church that makes no mistakes. All these paths of lives, they fail. There's one path of life. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And all human institutions can be agents and vehicles of good, but very often they lead us astray. And so a lot of what 2020 has been is God demonstrating to us all the various ways we've wandered onto these false paths. One of the aspects that we cannot get as, as an American uh, society, as even like, especially people like Redemption Gateway, I mean us, our, our people, you and me, right here in this room, family business, is this reality that God makes known to us the path of life. That joining the tribe of Jesus and following after him with everything was not just a branding move that you made. It was not willful self-association with how I want to be thought of. It was God came and got you and brought you in. That we who are separated from God have been brought near because he makes it known to us. You don't discover Jesus. Jesus reveals himself to you. He makes known to us. He causes us to know him. And it is a gift. And we don't earn it. We don't contribute to it. We just receive it. That we're not Christians because we discovered the path. But it was God in his sovereign will looked at us and said, I'm going to make known to you the path of life. And so here we are. What is the path of life? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But the path of life has not just to do with following the way that Jesus wants us to follow, but it has to do with also being present with him on that path. In your presence There is fullness of joy. We know that people bring with them a presence, right? If you ask your closest friends and family, what comes with me when I walk into the room, right? Some of you maybe have like Christmas plans right now, uh, and you're kind of going, oh, we're excited about these Christmas plans, but then you find out that so-and-so's been invited, and you're like, oh, here comes the wet blanket. (sighs) In their presence is fullness of negativity, (laughs) Or maybe there's that other person coming and you're just like found out they're invited and your heart leapt. Like that person, they draw people out. They facilitate connection. They tell meaningful anecdotes that are the appropriate length that they don't go rambling on and on. <laughs> they have interesting stories from that time and they just add the life of the room. They don't dominate the conversation, but they add to it and draw people in. That these people who their presence brings with them this joy. What, what presence comes with you? What presence comes with me? 
I know a lot of times when my presence brings fullness of cynicism. <laughs> but sometimes when I'm walking in the spirit and I have the correct perspective, my presence can bring fullness of joy. And I hope that we's Redemption Gateway, that we are a, a brings joy with us into the room people. Now, not just like a chipper, effervescent, bubbly optimism. Some of that is good, um, but I don't think all of us have the personality where that's possible, myself included. But I just mean this, this kind of resolved sense of because of who I am and where I am and what God's doing in the world, there's like an inner lightness that makes us able to be present to people wherever they are that we can connect with them. I was in this uh, weightlifting competition. It was like a three-guy thing, and each person does one lift. And so I'm, uh, you know, moderately strong, and that's the guy who's stronger. Boy, this other guy on our team named Alex Shaw. I don't know if you guys ever met Alex. He goes to this church. He's a, he's a mentor. If you saw him, just kind of picture like a Greek god, but with like 60 more pounds on him. Like so, he's just a big dude. And so I had to do my lift, and I was kind of like, because he's so strong, so like one person had to bench, one person had to squat, one person had to deadlift, and they added up our scores, and it was really good. And I knew that Alex could squat 600-something pounds, so I was really not concerned about my lift, right? So even if I like lose, I'm going to win, right? There was like this, so I'm kind of walking up, knowing that I'm going to not place very well in my own lift. I kind of do my best, but I'm not anxious about it. I'm not really concerned. Even if my lift goes pretty terrible, I know that I have the guy who can squat 200 pounds more than anybody else, and so we're going to be fine because him being present on the team with me really like added, so in my whole, disp- usually there's kind of like the, the anxiety of competition, you know, how's this going to go? How are we going to do? You know, you eat right the night before. I was like, I don't really care because I have this guy on my team, and we're going to just win no matter what, and so there's this like, this joyful, um, resolved, I'm going to do my best, but the outcome's not in my hands thing, that when Alex was on your weightlifting team, uh, there's his, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. This is kind of what it's like having, being proximate to the Lord, is to be in his presence, there's this fullness of joy. Like, I'm going to do my best, I'm going to do what I can, bring things to the table, but I know ultimately, even if my thing doesn't go well, we are going to be fine. And this path of life has everything to do with being present with God, being on the Lord's team, being on the Lord's side, being with him in the body of Christ. And so this idea of like the presence of God is important for us. And so there's, there's three different ways that we can talk about God's presence. And this text has the third one in mind. I want to talk about the first two because they're true, but that's not exactly what this text is in mind. The first one, when we talk about God's presence, is what even like theologians call is God's terrible presence or his awful presence. This is the presence like when you're doing something you should not be doing at home and you hear dad's car hit the driveway, you go, oh no, dad's here, clean up, turn it off, change the channel, do something else, you know, pretend this wasn't happening. It's the, the judge is here, it's the authority is here, it's the presence that exposes your sinfulness to you. All of a sudden you become self-conscious about your behavior and you realize that you are out of line with what God wanted you to do. And this is the terrible, awful presence of God. It's a theme in the Old Testament. You can see it, that when the Lord shows up, there is this, woe am I, I am a man of unclean lips, have mercy on me. And it's this fearful inducing presence of oh no and depending on the type of dad you had this is the only presence you got from your dad oh no dad's looking oh no dad's watching and some of us still living basically our whole life reacting to that fatherly disposition that fatherly presence oh no dad's here he's gonna be meth and i just want to say that uh that is a true 
aspect of God's presence, the, the presence that is this illuminating, revealing, hey, you're not where you're supposed to be. And I would bet that if you think about like your own sinful dispositions or your own sinful habits or your own ways in which you kind of reject um, God's way and do your own thing, that the way that we tend to sin is we first fall out of awareness of God's presence and start to live in this kind of functional atheism even if we say that we're Christians. And so I do think God as judge or God as the Holy One or is, is, a, is an important aspect of God's presence we need to consider. But also ends up kind of being, if you only kind of consider that, especially folks that grew up um, particularly like Roman Catholic or even some folks who grew up LDS, there is like this um, only like Jesus is watching you. So like it ends up being like the, the joy killer presence of God only. And this terrible, it's something we have to deal with. Is the, is the God revealing our sinfulness to ourselves part of God's presence? The second part of God's presence um, is what we call his omnipresence or the sense in which he's just present everywhere. He created all things. He upholds all things. Um, This is really the only sense of God's presence that I understood really in high school at all. I had a friend come to me, you know, teary-eyed, heavy laden, and said like, Seth, I just really don't feel close to God right now. And I said, well, God is everywhere, so that's stupid. (laughs) He didn't come to me for counsel anymore. You know, I was like, how could you not feel close to God? You know, he's everywhere. What's your problem? You know, snap out of it. You know, uh, uh, not really understanding that what he was getting at is like this felt relational distance, but I just thought, God's everywhere. What's the problem? I don't feel close to God. Well, you cannot feel close to oxygen. That doesn't matter. You know, like there's, it's everywhere, you know, so, but this, so I asked our our church staff this week, when you think about God's presence, um, what's a, a metaphor that comes to mind? And one of them mentioned gravity and this like omnipresence of God, his presence that's everywhere. It's kind of like gravity. It's constantly affecting us. It's at work in our day-to-day lives, and we rarely pay attention to it unless things are kind of going bad or really good, like roller coasters really good, um, fall and crash really bad. And so there's kind of this, it's always around operating, and that's a true aspect of God's presence. Um, So you have his awful, terrible presence. You have his omnipresence, his everywhere presence. But the one that's in this text is called the blessed presence, his relational presence, the way in which he shows up specially by his spirit in a way that adds joy, that adds life, that is encouraging, that's exciting. It's that moment when I do my lift, the other guy does his lift, and then Alex Shaw walks out, and you're like, oh, here we go. Something different is about to happen. And so we pray for God's presence to come. We pray for God's presence to move. We pray for God's work in our life. And that's not denying the other senses of God's presence, but we're saying his blessed, joyful, life-giving presence that inspires and elevates and illuminates and and guides. Uh, This is his blessed presence. This is the presence we're talking about, um, especially in this Christmas time, that Jesus comes and he enters and by his spirit and he's with us and he's guiding us and he's leading us. This is dad comes home, thank goodness. Not dad comes home, oh no. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. And this, this path of life is walking with Jesus in his presence. It is Jesus is the way, he's the truth, it's the life. It's not just giving mental um, buy-in to a doctrine, but it's actually walking in the way he's set before us and being present with him on the spirit. So some of you right now, you, like, you kind of like, feel like my friend in high school who's like, I just don't feel close to God right now. And what people are saying when they're saying that is I'm not really experiencing the blessed presence of God. 
I don't feel like the spirit is close. I don't feel like he's operating. I, don't, I feel like I've distanced myself from him. I've calloused my heart. I'm not noticing. Um, I have you know, successfully cotton-balled my ears to the point where I can't hear. Um, sometimes it's the callous of our own hearts, and sometimes it's the sin. And, um, but we're not walking in the blessed presence of God, and so what do we do? And I, I just want us to know that apart from God's grace, we never get the blessed presence of God. Which means the next one, verse 11. Um, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. At your right hand. So to be at the right hand of God, um, this is like an old um, king monarchical metaphor, that to be at the right hand of the king really meant two things. Um, one, it meant that you had um, unusual access. Right? So it was about access. That to be at the right hand of the king meant that like, you had the king's ear and the king had your ear. That you could go to the king and tell him what you were seeing and noticing in the kingdom and also that the king would often tell you what he was noticing and what he was seeing in the kingdom. And so there's this access to the king that comes with being at God's right hand. The second part is, is like this delegation or this um, authority that's given when you're the king's right-hand man. Right? That when you are the king's right-hand man, what that often means is you are the one who executes his will. That you're the one who he says, here's what I want to have done, and you go and make it happen. And so to say that um, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, it's not just saying um, when I'm like, acknowledging your presence, there's pleasures forevermore, but there's this recognition that when I have access to the Father, and when I'm acting as a delegate of his will, there is ongoing, eternal uh, uh, like, uh, enjoyment or even uh, the ability to be gratified or satisfied in a deep and unrelenting way. That so often we think about satisfaction or gratification and it has to do with this short-term thing. The New Testament even talks about, he, he asks the question, what benefit or what joy are you getting from those things of which you are now ashamed? That so often our search for pleasure forevermore actually leads us into um, indulging in pleasures that are short-term and create tons of, of shame, if anything. You know, the food metaphors are easy here, right? I want it, I have it, and I regret it instantly. But I think that we all can connect with this reality in a much deeper way, that I want pleasures forevermore, but what I'm really gonna do is I'm gonna get pleasures in the here and now. And what God is telling us here is that at the Father's right hand, there is this thing called pleasures forevermore, this enduring sense of satisfaction that comes from knowing I am doing God's will. I think about this in particular when it comes to playing basketball. Um, being on the team, um, first you have to make the team, then you have to like carve out a spot on the team. You have a slot on the team, especially playing basketball. There's like the, the specialization aspect of you're good at this, and so you do that, and you're good at this, and you do that. And there's an aspect where like, I wasn't really good at anything besides shooting, but there was like a, you're good at shooting, so you do that. Um, don't let, don't dribble, don't pass, you know, kind of. So like, if the ball comes to you, just do this and everything. And so I just was, I was kind of a one-trick pony, but I felt like I add value to this team because I do this. And I, there's a, a specialization. And so coach would write up this play, and he would say, here's what we're gonna do you do this back screen, you run around here, you pass this, you fake that way, and then you catch it, and then you shoot. And so they draw up the play, and then there's something that would happen when you run the play, and you run the play correctly, and you hit the shot, and you're going, there's this enduring satisfaction that comes from, I successfully did the will of the coach. 
I did what I was supposed to do. I added value. I filled my niche. I did my piece. I did my part. And to know that you're doing your part to contribute to the whole of the team, there is a much greater satisfaction than comes from just padding stats and kind of being your own, your own hero. And this is what's getting at here, that when you have access to the Father and he gives you his will and then you do his will, that is the most enduring sense of satisfaction you'll ever have. Way more than having that extra drink, way more than that person you shouldn't be talking to, but you are because they're nice to you at work, way more than that bank account that you hope is going to do this, but this, these false paths of life promise these short-term pleasures that are real short-term pleasures, but they're not pleasures forevermore. But here's the part that leaves us kind of stuck as people who want to follow God, is that we don't do that. We do not successfully and without fault execute the will of God Most High. We might have the access, but we don't have the execution. We might have be at God's right hand, but we fumble all the time. And we have to ask ourselves, now what? Work harder, do better? I think that's where a lot of us are functionally all the time. Work harder, do better. This time will be different. I promise that was the last time. Next time I'll say yes to the right thing. Next time I'll say no to the right thing. And there's this constant battle of trying to avoid God's terrible, awful presence. But this is where the message of Christmas hits us in a fresh and compelling way that Jesus was perfectly and functionally and intimately at the right hand of the Father. But John 1, 1 says this, that in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God. This is where our doctrine of the Trinity kind of begins to develop, that Jesus was God and he was with God, that there's one God and three persons. It is a mystery. It was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus was at the right hand of the Father, enduring, or not enduring, but enjoying pleasures forevermore. He did not need to come and save us. He did not need to leave the Father's right hand. But he of his own will, freely and willingly, left the Father's right hand to be born of a virgin, to suffer, to be an innocent toddler who experienced the pain of life, to never sin, to perfectly execute the will of the Father everywhere he went, the sinless life that you and I never had a shot at living. And he dies a death, dying for our sins so that we can be finally and fully restored to the Father. And I want us to hear very clearly that if you are not a believer in Jesus, if you've not trusted in him as your Savior and as your Lord, you are stuck having only the awful presence of God. Because Jesus is coming back. And he's the king of kings and he's the lord of lords. And he's the judge of the earth. And if you're trusting in your own ability to appease the holy one of Israel, you're in bad shape. But in Jesus' death on the cross, all who trust in him are covered in his blood and the entire punishment of our sin that we deserve is washed away so that all that we get is the blessed presence of God. You do not have to fear, oh no, dad is home, God, when you are washed in the blood of the lamb. You don't have to fear the wrathful, terrible presence of God which holds everyone captive and holds everyone accountable for their sin when you are washed in the blood of Jesus. And so this is why Christmas is good news, 
not just terrible news. Because the fact that God has come to earth and he has revealed himself as gracious and as the one who takes away our sin means that we can enjoy his presence. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And the reason that can be true for me, and the reason that can be true for you, is not because of how good you've done or how hard you've tried, but because of what Jesus has done that we could not do for ourselves. We can have joy when God is near because God has paid what we could not pay. This is why Christmas is not to be received as a threat, but Christmas is to be received as a promise. And so let's pray, Gateway. Father, thank you for intervening, for interceding. I do pray that your blessed presence would be um, especially obvious to us as followers of Jesus. I pray for all the people in the room and online um, who have a lot of doubts, who have a lot of questions. I pray that your spirit would soften their hearts, that they would trust in you for their, for their salvation and not anything else. God, I pray that this Christmas season, in the middle of a year, um, that's been a lot like other years, and that there's a lot of pain, a lot of sickness, a lot of death, a lot of sadness. I ask that your spirit would be powerful, powerfully and obviously present to us, um, that we would know that no matter how our thing goes, we're going to be okay. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen.